Are you working on your author career, but struggling to get that first book published? Does the goal of being an author seem too lofty? Or thoughts of having multiple books and making a full-time living are as fantastical as living in Cinderella's castle? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where aspiring authors can be heard. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have gotten their foot on the author career path. Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Brought to you by Mind Architecture. Building worlds for your mind. Today on Discovered Wordsmith, I have Audrey. Audrey, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. It is great to have you on, and I'm excited to hear about this book. But before we talk about your writing and your book, let's find out a little bit about you. So tell us some of the things you like to do and where you live outside of writing. Stephen, I live in Westchester, New York, and I have not always been a writer. This is pretty new to me. I actually... I want to say I was a doctor, but I think I'm allowed to say I still am a doctor. But I'm not. Yeah, I don't think right you now. ever stop being a doctor. It's one of those professions. Yeah, <laughs> I want to hold on to that title a little bit, though. I don't walk around like I didn't put MD on my book because I thought that was I don't know. Did, did, do you have a specialty? I do. I'm a pediatric gastroenterologist. Wow, that's a mouthful. That's a lot. It is a mouthful. It is. It, people will have trouble saying it. I usually say kids from here to here, but people are, they're good with that. Yeah. I study kid farts. Yeah. Among, that's among probably what things. the answer the kids would like. I'm sorry. Go on. Tell us more about you. Yeah. So that's, that's that. So I stopped uh, working in 2020 and right before the pandemic, not that I knew it was coming. I'm not psychic, but that happened. But, and but then, it just so happened your next book is a conspiracy theory book about pandemic. <laughs> <Yes>. Sorry. <laughs> but that gave me a lot of time to do this. I think I had planned to do some other things and other hobbies. Actually, I do sing. I'm in a couple of courses because I can't decide which one Beautiful. I like better. I have a pop, a cappella group and a more classical choral group. And I like them both. And then I was planning to do, I don't know, ballroom dancing. And <laughs> I had a long list. And then pandemic said no to those things. And so that allowed me an opportunity to really focus on the writing of this book, which I did obsessively nice. and compulsively. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, doctors don't usually leave much time for much outside of work life. It, it, it's very hectic, busy, stressful life. But it's also, I hear, rewarding, good pay and all that. So why would you want to stop doing that and just look into writing and make writing more a part of your life? Oh, writing is so profitable, don't you think? <laughs> I'm not, we're not, not well, going to discuss for, for that. For you, yes, it can be, yes. <laughs> no, I'm not doing this for that reason. I would say that it really started in 2018, so going back a couple of years, I had, 2018 was a bad year for me. It was, it started, I think with, I had a case of identity theft. That was like the beginning of a bad year. Oh, I mean, not, you know, not, it happens. It's, it's, 
But then I had a ski injury in Colorado. Was it I really was, you or the other person? No, sorry. It was, really, it, was really, it was really me. I was doing an aerial acrobatic move, not on, not on purpose though. And I broke a leg very, very badly. And I came back to New York and had to be carried up to my house by the fire department. So that's, that's how bad it was. And I, um, and then a week later, my father died. And so it was like, you know, like a bad series of events. And, and then I had to, um, write a eulogy while I was on narcotics, (laughs) which was probably a good thing. And I knew my father had this experience of being in the Holocaust and that was going to be a big part of his, the story I had to tell, but I, it had been so long since he told us these stories that I really didn't remember the details, and I had to try to figure out what to write and what to tell about him. And I remembered that he had written down his life story years ago, maybe 13, 15 years before. When he retired, he typed out his life memories, and it was somewhere in my attic, some somewhere. I got on my ass, and I hauled myself backwards up my attic stairs and found the dusty copy of this thing that he had typed and started to go through it and found what I needed for the eulogy. And we put that away, and then I was off my feet for two months and not at work. And it's the first time in my life I had ever not worked. I've literally been working since I was 11. Not <laughs> That's in the a whole other story about my right? family that I won't go into about why I was working since I was 11. That's another book <laughs> for another time. Uh, but so then I was at home under with my leg going like this in some kind of rehab machine and not doing anything, not wanting to be idle. Talking to my mother, who was widowed a lot, and she said, Audrey, your dad really wanted his book published. And this book was, I don't know if you could see, but it's a pretty big tome. Yeah. Like a one pound tome. And and so I started really reading it cover to cover. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. So much detail. He remembered so much from his childhood growing up in Germany under a Nazi regime. And I thought... Yes, this absolutely should be published, except that it's absolutely unpublishable because <laughs> it's really not good. <laughs> so that really got me thinking that if I ever was to do this, I would have to really rewrite it completely from cover to cover. But I was still working. So after a couple of months, I went back to work on crutches, which is very hard, by the way, to do a colonoscopy on crutches. It's, I don't recommend it to, to anyone. But I, I think also coming back to work, Again, 2018 being a bad year, my mother a couple of months later broke her hip. And so I was going to work and doing the widow mother broken hip thing. And But I started to think this is maybe a time I should start thinking about uh, maybe at some point not working um, in medicine for the rest of my life and um, starting a new chapter, literally. Okay. Right. And that's interesting. Uh, I've talked to a lot of authors that they do that, but they usually stick with their main career, retire, and then write. You're, you're obviously not completely ready to retire. I think that's a lot of people would probably find it difficult to leave a profession like medical profession to go into writing a book. Because as we joke, it's just so lucrative <laughs> to do. Do you find, and I know working with kids, 
that probably was mostly good days helping kids. Do you find fulfillment or are you glad to get rid of that stress or whatever was with the medical? I'm just curious as to your feelings on doing this and moving away from medical a bit. Yeah, I think that I think two things. I, I think I, I started my career really early. I was 22 when I graduated medical school, oh. a very accelerated life of rushing through everything. And so again, like never having taken a break, I felt like maybe a little bit done. And I really loved patient care. I can't emphasize enough how much I enjoyed my patients and my interactions with families and the caring part. It was all positive. I think you'll speaking to a lot of doctors today, they'll tell you the more and more administrative stuff became part of the end of day to late hours of night. And it became a little bit more than I wanted. But I think more than that, I just really wanted to do other things. I always felt like I had this creative side that was untapped and that I had put away and couldn't get to because the work was just too consuming. There just wasn't enough time to do, to balance it all and to do both. And so I did the opposite of what all my friends did. Their kids left the house and they went back to work. My kids left the house and I left work at the same time, which you know, I felt a little guilty about. I was like, I'm supposed to be home with my kids and then go back to work. And I did the opposite. And I, I feel forever guilty and I hope they forgive me. So, but, but I love that because I think too many people put off what they really want to do and what would be fulfilling in their life because they have this notion, this is my job. This is what I got to do. I got, you, you took that step an inspiration for many, I, I hope. Yes. And I did it with therapy. So, because it was such a hard decision, but no, it was really hard. It was the idea of leaving work was, pain, it was a painful decision. There was I bet, the pain in my leg and the pain in my brain. <laughs> and I, it was not easy. And then I had to make sure I could afford to, which was, that was also really hard. The idea of not having a steady income was brought up huge insecurities for me. Yeah, I I bet. I I know a lot of people have that (laughs) issue, which keeps them from doing what they want. And and I understand about the, a little bit about the administration stuff in the medical world. My mother was an orthopedic nurse for 45 years. And what drove her out was they changed and upgraded the computer system. And it was like broke. It was horrible. (laughs) And she was like, in tears and it's just retire. You're, you're many tears, you're, many tears yeah. shed. Many. Yes. Yeah. I'm a good, so, I'm a good crier. So I understand that would, that could be your next thing. You get an acting gig on some soap or something where you have to cry a lot. And I have a button somewhere. Then when you push it, they just come. I <laughs> thought I might cry today, but depending on what you say, it's, oh, it, happened it happened at any moment. Who's that? Who's that? There's a, um, one interviewer that like always tries to, that gets people to cry. And you always hear the actress stuff. I, I wasn't going to cry, but you got me to cry. Well, no, Barbara I don't want to Walters do that. always managed to yeah. pull it off. And always. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about finding uh, this book, wanting to redo this book for your dad. I want to find out a little more about what's in the book. You said it wasn't really publishable and you had to redo it. So to walk us through reading it and what's in there and what pushed you to keep going and then what you had to do to actually get it out into the world. Yeah. So basically it is my father's story about living through the Holocaust. He was born in um, Berlin in 1930 and he left Germany in 1941. 
So he really lived through the Nazi years and his escape was really as by the skin of your teeth escape. And I don't want to give away too much about how he left, but because that's the exciting part, but he was profoundly detailed about his life to a, a point that was astonishing. If I could tell you that I could draw you an architectural blueprint of his apartment <laughs> in, in Berlin, the color of the walls, where the bathroom was, every piece of furniture, and which was great because it was material for me, that I could do something that was thoroughly believable. But if, as a reader, you would not want to say, when you first walk in the apartment, there's a foyer. And then to the right is Anita's room. And after that is the bathroom is written a little bit like that, which, again, fabulous for me to make something completely honest and true, but had to be written in a readable way. But the story itself of escape and survival was dramatic. And then when he came to this country, there's a whole other story about immigration and identity and trying to become an American. And all of this in the backdrop of a very dysfunctional family, which makes it very relatable. Um, Because don't we all want to read about dysfunctional families? And some of it's funny. Because I thought found it funny <laughs> um, because, you know, again, his, his mother was a little crazy and erotic and his father was a bit of a bumpkin and a buffoon, I guess would be a better way to put it. And, and that created a lot of errors in judgment that led to them getting stuck in Germany longer than they should have. You know, everybody else was leaving. Why did they stay? And I, he didn't really explain it. He documented it, but I don't think he really analyzed it. There wasn't a lot of assessment. So I did the assessing for him. So what I had to try and do was, which was a challenge, was keep it in his voice, even though they were my words, and assess it in an an adult way that he was a little stuck, I think, in the frozen in his childhood experience. And I had to analyze the motives of the characters. That was, yeah, and give it life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. To have the narrative there, were there parts where you wished you were able to talk to him to get more information that there was things you wanted to know to put into the book or did you? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And some parts I think also I had, I think the biggest difficulty I had actually were not with him, but I think there were things that he didn't know. I had to research a, a fair amount. Like he, he wrote this before the internet, so he didn't know certain things. He, there were family members who disappeared. He didn't know what happened to them. Friends who he just who got left in behind in Germany. He didn't know. So I names of family members he didn't remember. So I did a lot of research to try to figure out who were these people, what happened to them. And of course, I had access to uh, the Holocaust Museum's database where I was able to find out what happened to his closest friends. A lot of sad stuff that maybe is better that he didn't know. Um, then there was a very big story about his sister and what happened to her because the family got separated and, and she got, I guess, left behind due to some visa issues. And her story of what happened was really fascinating. And again, I don't want to give it away, but I would have liked more detail, but it's possible because he was so young that 
he wasn't always told the entire story and she wasn't around. And I asked her, her, my cousins or her children, who are obviously adults now, if they could shed more light on it. And I don't think she had shared more intimate details. So I would have really liked to have known more. So I could only share just what he wrote. Um, right. So yes, I, I, I would have liked a little more, but I th- think he did give me enough to write a detailed moving story. And, and I, I just want to say that there's a lot of Holocaust stories out there. And I'm not saying that this one is more dramatic. My father didn't, he wasn't in a concentration camp and he, there's a lot of suffering to go around and a lot of very moving stories. But I find that everybody has a story, everyone who survived it has a story that's moving in its own way. And the story still needs to be told. I think, again, this story is unique in its own way, again, because of the family situation, because of how late they were in Germany. And so I hope people just can enjoy it and enjoy the way I've told it. So would you say it's closer to a nonfiction documentary or a fiction, uh, not action story, but drama story? Where's the yeah, balance? I feel, no, I don't think it reads like a documentary. I, I always felt like it read like more like a novel. Okay. Even though it was, I, it's, I can't say it's a memoir because it's not his words exactly. Though sometimes I used his, I did. Sometimes he had a really nice line, and I used it directly as is. But I felt like it read more like as if it was a novel written in the first person. I saw it in my head as a movie. Like that was. Okay. Like I saw it as I was writing it. And I was, yeah, that was, to me, it was a movie. And it was like, I would say it was like 50%, like some combination of Europa Europa mixed with Portnoy's complaint, because the later part is, is all the awkwardness of coming of age and being a young man, being in the service. There's a lot of and a little bit of the namesake too. I'll throw that in too, because there's this whole first generation American identity. So a combination of those three. Got it. So if you came across a spot that maybe needed more depth to it, more how did you go about putting in dialogue or describing something or writing it so that it fit what was real and what was there, but made it an interesting story to read. How did you like handle that? Cause that seems like I'd be frozen. I don't want to mis misrepresent what he's putting, but I also want it to be interesting for people to read. And I know a lot of the movies and stuff based on true events that the dialogue, they just, this is probably close to what they said type of thing. How did you yeah. handle that? So part of it was that I knew some of the characters. I knew my father. I knew my grandmother. She was alive till I was 10 years old. And so I'm going to use the Schitt's Creek example. <laughs> you may not get the reference. But, I, I uh, like that show, yes. <laughs> yeah, everybody loves Schitt's Creek. But I think when there was an interview with, I, I can't remember the, the actor's name, the father who plays the father. Yeah, um, I can't remember his name offhand. Yeah, and, and they were talking about just creating the show. He said, the humor is not in the one-liners. It's in the characters themselves. If you have good characters, they speak for themselves. And so I think that we had the characters of my 
grandfather and my grandmother and my father and my aunts, they were already well-developed. And I think I developed them well early on, even from going back to like when they got married back in the old country. And so once you had that, I could embody them and I knew what they would say. I, I knew who they were. And so when I wrote for them, I was writing as them. I could speak for them because I already knew who they were. I knew what they would say. So I didn't find it difficult because it, it's, to me, it didn't seem artificial. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And I love that because that's fiction writers often say when they really understand their characters and get into it, that they just go and you're just trying to keep up and write down what was said. Exactly. They wrote what's... themselves. I felt yeah. like they were writing themselves. And I've always felt like I was in the book. Like when I was writing, I never... I sometimes didn't know where I was sitting because I was, I felt like I was there in, if I was in Germany or if I was in Washington Heights, wherever I was, like I was so immersed in writing that I literally, I could not tell you where I was sitting in in the house. It just. You hit that flow. Yeah, exactly. It was total flow. Yeah. Nice. So what type of feedback have you been getting from people who just discovered it from maybe other people who lived through similar or had family members that lived through similar. Have you heard any feedback on that? I have. So most of my readers so far have found it really emotional and very immersive. I think the the feeling was like, they also said they feel like they're there and they root for, I think because I, I present my father as this sort of awkward, just trying to, trying so hard to become, once he comes here, first it's like an adventure where they get out. And then it's, can he become um, the man he wants to be and fit into an American society after all the tragedies that he experiences once he's here, they're rooting for him. So that's the feedback that I've gotten. And then the people I am publishing with Amsterdam Publishers, who's like a, a large international publisher, mostly like Holocaust and World War II memoirs. And so I'm now part of a author's group and there's other people publishing their memoirs. And again, it's been very enlightening because of course now I realize there's other people and they have their stories too. And it's wonderful to read. And, and sometimes there's similarities, uncanny similarities. And you're like, really? You're, <laughs> your parents were crazy too? <laughs> but that's because everybody, no, really, because everybody who lived through this, everybody has a story, whether they were hiding in plain sight and pretending to be Christian, hiding under the floor, worth whatever. There's are they all have good stories. They're worth reading. They're interesting and, and dramatic. And all of us next generation, we're all crazy as a result. All- <laughs> that must be my my family didn't go through that, but to hear that and know that growing up must be a totally different perspective on. Uh, just being who you are and being in America and not having to live through that totally different than somebody whose family has been here for 200 years or something. Yeah. It's, a, it's an immigration story, but it's a little unique, I think, because when my father got here, um, th- first of all, we were in the middle of a war and everyone was anti-German and he was German. And then everybody pretty much was like anti-Jewish too. They don't really want the Jewish refugees to come. So that was like a second thing. And then a lot of Eastern European Jews didn't like German Jews because they were like, 
oh, the German Jews, they're so snobby. They think they're so superior. So there <laughs> wow. was like, there was this, and plus he had already been through like the trauma of the continuous loss of everything. Lose your school, lose your clothes, lose your friends, lose your furniture, lose your money, lose your sister, lose your family. So there's, it was a very, in that respect, I think it was a little bit of a dis- distinct immigration experience. So I think there was a lot of trauma for him that created a lot of anxiety and behaviors that whether he passed that down in DNA or <laughs> just behavior, I, I couldn't tell you. But it was, it was a bit of a unique experience. And you mentioned something about your father when he was young and coming over and all that. Did was it difficult for you to write your father as a character and things that of how he was before you were even born and what you knew of him? And because still you, you got to have some sort of a little bit of a character arc in there without making him like the big superhero or something. You know what I'm saying? That you want to idolize your father. Was that a difficult thing for you to do? So I think, to be like as honest as I can be, like I think my father was a difficult father because of his traumas that he experienced. And by the time I was an adult and a parent myself, I had already, you know, forgiven his whatever difficulties that he had come to terms with that. But I don't think that I fully sympathized with his experience until I read and understood what he had written and all the losses he experienced. I could not believe, I knew again, the escape story. I got that, but I didn't know how much else was in it and how deep the losses went. Even after he came here, how difficult it was. So I think I developed a real sympathy for the child that he was, that I never really had before. And so I think I was able to imbue sympathy for the young person that I was writing about and not the adult father figure that I knew. That that that, that would be very difficult, I, I feel. I'd have a hard time doing that myself. So I, I applaud you for that, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's what, a lot of tears. <laughs> a lot of sobbing occurred Did, while I was Does writing. your mother like the book? Oh, yeah. My mother, my sister loved it they cried buckets when they read it and then and I was thinking I kept thinking like oh I wish my dad was around to see this get published and then I thought oh my god I could never have written this if my dad was around because he would have prevented me from writing it the way I wanted to I I wrote my version of events and that was not his this is what he wanted but that's that's not what that's not what, what I wanted to say He wrote for himself. He wrote for his own reasons. You wrote to get the story out into the world and to share it with Exactly. I think he wrote really more as a legacy to his family. Like he really dedicated to his children and grandchildren. This is my life story. This is chronicle of my life. And yeah, and exactly. My motive is to tell a a story to the world that should be heard. Exactly. So do you have any plans now for another book? That's a big auspicious beginning. What do you, what's next? (laughs) 
Yes, I do. Actually, I'm in the middle of writing another book and it's fiction and it's much much more fun and totally different. And now I realize like how in, in a way it's easier because I can manipulate the characters as I want to. <laughs> I don't have to follow. It's I'm like that. I think nonfiction is hard because it, again, that narrative arc, you have to, you know, you have to have a conflict and conflict resolution and where's your ending. And sometimes with a biography, you can't. Sometimes there is no, I, in this book, in my dad's book, I definitely tried to create that kind of narrative arc with where I ended it and, and having a resolution. But I think it's with fiction, you can manipulate it just right, time it just right. And so anyway, yes, yeah, so I'm writing a book. It's a, it's called The Climb. It's a, it's an ensemble cast of people on vacation, uh, people with bringing all their problems with them on vacation, getting together and running into some trouble and having to work together. And it's fun, humorous. Um, it's nice. a totally different genre. Great. And, and do you have a website that people could go to if they have want to see more about the book? Yes, it's reburnbaumauthor.com. Okay. We'll put links in the show notes for that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let me ask, do you have any favorite books of that you've read throughout your life or authors that you really like? Yes, I do. I have, it's funny, I was thinking about this and I was thinking I have more male authors that I like than female authors. And I thought, is, is that bad? Uh, I do really like Jonathan Franzen. I, I really did like his last book, Crossroads, very much. I love Philip Roth and I love Jonathan, uh, not Jonathan, John Irving. Oh. And then I, Zadie Smith is a favorite woman author of mine and Shimamanga Adichie. I hope I didn't mangle her name too much. And Elena Ferrante. I think those would be my top contemporary authors. Okay. Nice. There in Westchester, is there any bookstores that you like to go visit? Yeah. The Village Bookstore in Pleasantville is a, which is just a town away from me, is a lovely sweet bookstore where you could get lost in and just you know it's real brick and mortar find a book get help buy a gift it's a lovely place okay all right so we want to talk a little writing stuff about opportunities which i have some questions on but before we do if someone said hey i heard you wrote a book why should i get your book and read it what would you tell them I would say that it's a this is a it's a character driven story and it's a family drama and it's a, it's it's a good read whether or not you want to read a story about the Holocaust or not. So if you're a kind of person who does want to read like a Holocaust story or you're a World War II buff, you're gonna like it. But if you also just want to read a heartwarming story about a boy who's living through some difficult times with his family and trying to find his identity even for i would say even a ya audience might find that to be something they could relate to so i think a lot of people could find something in this book that they would connect to nice okay great audrey let me ask you this you did not choose a first writing project as an easy project you chose one that is probably very difficult so so everything else should be easy so what are some things you've learned through this process that 
are helping with this next book. Yeah, I I didn't accomplish this entirely on my own. I had help in the sense that I had friends who read for me, which was really helpful. I had a friend who's an author, Katie Size, who read my book and gave me some hints and clues, which was really helpful. I realized pretty early on how difficult it would be to get an agent. And so I decided instead to go to a niche publisher, which was helpful. But on the bright side of that, the rejection (laughs) of not getting an agent was really helpful because I actually put the book down for a long time. And then when I came back to it, and I think improved it a lot. So that was, I think, a lesson too. Put it down for a little while and then come back, look at it again. Fresh eyes. uh, Freshly, with fresh eyes. And you'll see things, you'll see where the writing is weak and where you can improve it. And so I think that's one important lesson. And then also the finding... Landing like a niche publisher, I think to me that was very helpful, is getting it moving to make sure that it actually made it somewhere. Okay. So you you mentioned in email about talking about not missing opportunities and taking advantage of opportunities. With this one book, has there been some opportunities that you regret that you've missed? Uh, The reason for possibly talking about that? Or have you... Do you have some great opportunities that you're glad you did? Do you mean opportunities with the with writing itself, yes. you're saying? Or? Yes. Yeah. I'm 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 I apologize. I really I'm not sure exactly like you mentioned, an agent, which would have been an opportunity possibly to get in a big publisher, a big possibly who knows what, foreign rights, movies and stuff. And you didn't do that. Do you regret not choosing an agent you wish you had? Oh, I think I see what you're saying. Okay. I think that I would have liked to, I think, I, I think an an agent didn't choose me. (laughs) Let's let's be clear. I did put it out. I maybe didn't do it as aggressively as I might have, but I'm not sure that this genre lent itself to being picked up by an agent, to be fair. Um, but it is a niche genre that may not, at this particular moment in time, I have the appeal that an agent would really be interested in. Just to be completely fair, this is not necessarily Holocaust literature, not necessarily what people are really interested right now. It's not flying off the shelf every day. (laughs) It's not, exactly. So I think like I recognize that after a couple of go-arounds with seeking out agents. And I, so I, but I didn't give up. I wasn't going to give up and I did not want to self-publish. I I could have, that certainly would be a way to go, but I, that wasn't the route that I wanted to take. I didn't think that it would be easy to get noticed. And and I didn't want it to be a vanity project either. So I I was looking still for real representation. So I think I found, I found a good publisher, a legitimate publisher, and I feel represented. Are there any other things that 
maybe coming up that you're going to do to help promote the book that you wanted to make sure and take advantage of either setting up somewhere or some conference or something going on? Is there anything besides podcasts? Uh, is yeah, there anything else podcasts. I am. I'm right now. I'm, I'm working with so, social media. The marketing part of this is all brand new for me. I'm not. I was never really on social media before. So I now do have an Instagram and I do have Facebook, and so I'm working on that. I do have something coming up in January that I'm very excited about. Even though January is you know a ways away, but the book isn't officially launching until October. It's uh, available for. Uh, pre-order is September 15th, and then it's it's going to be available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble in, on October 23rd. In oh, January, there's a the Reagan Library, Reagan Presidential Library in California, has been doing a program, really beautiful program on Auschwitz. And, but it's not just Auschwitz. It is a Holocaust-related program. And I've been invited to speak there in early January. And speak about the book, which is an amazing opportunity because ultimately, besides the book, and again, I'm not doing this because I think I'm going to become <laughs> rich from this book, but the idea is really to get the story out and to tell my dad's story. And and so that to me is a marvelous opportunity. And as you can see, I like to speak, so I will do it more. And that's so that's my to me, a big opportunity. Otherwise, I'm going to probably be doing, be setting up uh, talks and temples, continuing education programs and neighborhood things. I, I have not set that up yet because I don't physically have the book uh, share with people. And, and I love about doing that talk because that's a perfect venue. <laughs> to be, everyone listening to the talk is interested in the topic. And I think that's something a lot of authors don't think far enough and wide enough that I, I, if there's a writer's conference in the area, I see a lot of authors setting up at a table to sell their crime fiction or their fantasy. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me because everybody at this conference is a writer with their own book. They're not looking to buy a book <laughs> to, to read. And I, I think there's opportunities out there for people to do things outside of just book and library related things. So I love that you're going out to do this talk and you're doing things with the local community. Have you looked at other Jewish events or other synagogues or anything out there that you could go work with and talk with or anything like that? I am planning to approach, it's a little early yet still, but I'm planning to approach the the New York version of the Holocaust Museum. It's called the Jewish, it has a different name, but it's, so I think I'm going to do museums and then all of the, there's plenty in Westchester, plenty of uh, local synagogues. And there's also a lot of groups that are children of Holocaust survivors, like smaller groups that I'm planning to approach. So all the in-person stuff I'm planning to do for the fall and set up. So I haven't done it yet, but it is next on my list of things to do. Nice. I, I like that thinking outside the box. And are you using the same writer name for this book as your next book, or are you separating those? No, it's going to be the same name. Okay. Have you? Do you have any thoughts or concerns about someone who picks up a book about the Holocaust and then they look at your next book and it's like completely different fiction? Any concerns about people going, hey, this is not what I wanted? <laughs> Well, now I do. <laughs> I I had 
No, I'm just, I, again, I'm not in this as, for me, I'm in this uh, not to, there. I know there are some writers and they're very targeted in terms of this is my audience and this is who I'm marketing for and this is exactly the type of literature I'm doing. I write from the heart and I'm going to write what I want to write that could be another memoir in the future. It could be... So I, it's, it, maybe that's not a good business approach, but I, it's but, again for me the the goal was not. Um, the, yeah, I'm, I'm later in life, right? in in, and I maybe don't have the. <laughs> this was one project. I'm putting this away. I'm starting the next project, and we'll market it accordingly. The other thing I've seen and think about too is you're not so much worried about selling two different products. It's more about a you that you're the brand, you're the product almost. You know, if someone I am uh, the brand. Exactly. <laughs> somebody does like the first yeah. book and they like the writing, even if your next book's fiction and it has nothing to do with the Holocaust or anything like that, they may say, you know what, she got this story out. I love what she did and I'm going to stick with her. I like that. And it's a different approach than, like you said, a lot of authors get really focused. Oh yeah. I write in three genres of three different pen names. I got three different websites and that's a lot to do. So I'm just, I, I actually love that you're, this is me. This is what I write. Thank you for being so supportive, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 I'd love to definitely check it out after the next book and uh, see uh, what the feedback is. And if people are like, Hey, I read that first book, this is different, but I love it. That type of thing. Because I think that's a, a, a way of marketing and getting out there that a lot of authors avoid because we've been told to, but I, I don't think that's completely right. I think you've got a good angle actually. No, I think, listen, I, the truth is I think that really good authors can spend quite a few years on a, on a novel and write very different books. And that's, I think, to their credit. And I, I, think I absolutely know those, agree. I know who those authors are. But also, this book was a commitment I made to do something in, in homage to my father, which I did. And now that I know that I can write and I can finish a book, and now I've got the bug and I really enjoy writing. It's a confidence booster. It's a great booster. pleasure. That now I move forward and now I'm going to do the kinds of stories that I want to tell. And, and nice. they will be different. And know, that's beautiful. Sure. Love that. All right, Audrey, I appreciate everything today. I, I think that book sounds wonderful. I, I agree. I think the world needs some more of those, even though there are plenty of things happening that take people's attention and something that was a hundred years ago may seem like eh, it, it's old news. It's still something oh, that we shouldn't forget that it affected people and people's lives to this day. So I love that you did that. Do you have any advice for anyone else that is in a similar situation where they have a parent or a grandparent that has a story to tell and they might want to write a book and get that story out? Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I think it's don't hesitate to start putting it on paper. Just start writing. Don't critique yourself till you have it down. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> from start to finish and then edit it and edit it but find even if it's somebody else's story i think you still have to find your own voice as a writer 
um, you're still telling it. And I think that's the probably the, the biggest challenge is in finding your own writer's voice and yeah. knowing if you have one. Because, yeah, because people still have to be able to feel, they have to still feel it for it to be, to feel the emotion right. of the story. You can't just, again, it's a show not tell. Just, they have to connect to it. Yeah. Um, very much. Great. Audrey, thank you for being on today. It's been great thank talking you so to much. you. I wish you lots of luck, not only with the book, but with your talk in uh, January. I, I hope that goes very well for you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. Thank you. Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for, to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use. So I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out, discover more authors to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.